certainly is enjoying with Brother Brian. Beautiful day, wonderful opportunity to be together, especially as we consider our subject together this morning. We're going to be focusing on a simple message of salvation, a simple message of, um, of salvation. To me, salvation uh, drives us to the Bible, to the Bible, because we read in Jeremiah 10 and 23 that the way of man is not in himself. We cannot direct our own steps. And that drives us to the Lord Jesus Christ, because the Bible predicts all the events of the life of Jesus And the Bible is centered upon the life of Jesus. Jesus himself says in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes unto me or comes unto the Father except uh, through me. And salvation is not only about our Lord Jesus, but about his testament, his will, his New Testament, his covenant that we read in our Bibles um, in the latter part of our Bibles, in the New Testament. The New Testament is set up in a particular way. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record the tremendous life of Jesus and also his suffering and death, burial, and resurrection uh, in our behalf, and also his ascension up on high. The book of Acts records uh, the events of people coming to Jesus for salvation, for forgiveness. And the rest of the New Testament is basically presented to encourage us to be strong and courageous as we live for Christ. I want to focus with you on the book of Acts, the book of Acts, where people came to Jesus uh, for salvation. In particular, there are four or five examples of conversion. Those on the day of Pentecost, we read about in Acts 2, were converted to Christ. Cornelius, we read about him in Acts chapter 10. He was converted to Christ. Also Saul of Tarsus, Acts 9, came to Jesus. And also we can read about the Philippian jailer of Acts 16, 30 to 34. He came to Jesus. I want us to notice some principles that will really help us, I think, really help us understand salvation As we get to these principles, remember, of course, without God and his mercy and his love, without Jesus and his suffering and crucifixion and resurrection on our behalf, and without the life of Jesus and without so much goodness from God, we would not even be able to start talking about uh, salvation. But at the same time, God does require a response uh, from people, from us, if we're going to enjoy salvation in his sight. And so notice three great principles about this that can help us to see salvation as God really presented it in his New Testament. The first principle is this different creations, same great God. Different creations, same great God. We know that God created the heavens and the earth. Exodus 20 and verse 11 actually says, In six days God created the heavens. And the earth and the sea and all that in them is. And then on the seventh day he rested. But God also creates Christians. 
When one becomes a Christian and enjoys salvation, that's a creation from God. Ephesians 2 verse 10. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says that Christians are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Notice that little statement there. Ephesians 2 verse 10. Christians are created in Christ Jesus for good works. And you can add to that 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. If any man be in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so think about this. Two creations, same great God. Think about God creating the material universe. Okay. And how he continues continue to control uh, the, the entire world that we live in. Okay. One, it's just amazing to think about. I, I want you to notice just quickly, at least in your mind. Job, Job 26 verse 7 says, He hung the earth upon nothing. Job 26 verse 7. If you ever get to doubting your faith... Read a little statements like that. Job 26, verse 7. The earth is out there in the space. What's it hanging on? Hanging on nothing except God's law, God's word, that it should be hanging there. So God created the world and he continues to control it. Now Genesis 8, verse 22 says, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and and summer and winter and day and night shall never cease. And it has not ceased, has it? Every hour, every day, every week, every month, every year succeeds each other in a regular order. And there hasn't been a failure. There hasn't been a hiccup in all of, in all of this order of creation since the dawning of creation. God hasn't made a mistake. He continues to order the universe. He controls it. How does he do this? Hebrews 1 uh, verse 3 says, He upholds all things by the word of his power. God created the material universe and he keeps it in perfect running order. And we thank him for each day when we get up. But now, think about the creation of salvation. The creation of salvation through Jesus God created salvation through Jesus for mankind whom, mankind whom he supremely loves. John 3.16, he gave up his own son in order for us to, to be able to enjoy salvation. Okay. And God tells us that salvation is more important than any other thing on earth. Matthew 16.26, Jesus said, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So God, in bringing salvation in Christ to us, expresses to us how greatly important it is. Now, is he going to bring that salvation to us in some sort of, uh, of uh, way in which there's no system, no pattern, no plan? Is he going to bring salvation to us in such a way where one man is saved this way and a woman is saved this way and another man is saved in yet another way? Has God left salvation for us in, in a chaotic uh, sense, leaving everything to chance and confusion, I suggest to you, no, not at all. Not at all. That's not the God that we know. That's not the God presented to us in the Bible. The God presented to us in the Bible is a God of order. Okay? Uh, for example, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 33 says, God is not the author of confusion. He is a, a God of peace. 
He is a God of decency and order. I suggest to you, He created the material universe, yes, and it continues in an orderly way. God also created salvation in Jesus Christ, and that is presented to us in the most orderly, most harmonized fashion possible. In fact, I would say to you that the plan of salvation is the grandest example of harmony that we'll ever encounter with our minds. That's just how much I believe in. Now, notice the order of it from Jesus' great commission. Okay. When G- Jesus gave some final words before he left this earth. And Matthew records it like this in Matthew 28 and verse 19. Jesus has Jesus saying, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Mark records it like this in Mark 16, 15, and 16. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that does not believe will be condemned. Luke records it like this in Luke 24, 46, and 47. That repentance and remission of sins should be preached in Jesus' name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So notice from the Great Commission, man's response that should be that should be done. The response expected from man. Man must hear the gospel. And man must believe the gospel according to Mark uh, 16. According to Luke, man must repent of his sins. Okay. According to uh, Matthew uh, 10, 32 and 33, man must confess his faith in Christ. And then according to Matthew and according to Mark, we read that from the Great Commission, one must be baptized Uh, immersed in water for the remission of sins. This great commission given by Jesus is carried out in the book of Acts. And so in the very book of Acts, you have uh, faithful preachers and teachers going and teaching men what to do in order to receive uh, forgiveness of sins. For example, Acts 2, 37 and 38, Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Acts 18, verse 8, Concerning the Corinthians where Paul was preaching at the time. Many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Okay. When you take the Great Commission and you take the book of Acts. And then you take the remainder of the New Testament. In the the rest of the New Testament you have people reflecting back on their conversion at the time they became a Christian. Like Paul does in Romans 6, 3 and 4. He reminds Uh, the people in Rome uh, of their conversion. He said, uh, Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father even so we also should walk in newness of life. And so notice the order there. Jesus presents the order of man's response before he leaves the earth and then faithful preachers follow up on that and go teach those very Ideals, those very qualities uh, to people all over the world as we read about in the book of Acts. And then when the writers, the inspired writers of the New Testament, help people to reflect on their conversion, the same order is given. And so I wanted us to see, first of all, a very important principle is uh, different creations. Same great God. God is a God of order and harmony and precision and pattern. 
The second principle I want us to see is different circumstances but same conditions. When I say circumstances, I mean things happening in people's lives before they become Christians. When I say conditions, I'm talking about the very things we just named off that people needed to use, people needed to learn about in order to become a Christian, to become a Christian, to hear the gospel and to believe uh, the gospel, believe in Jesus and to turn from sin and to confess one's faith uh, in Christ and to be immersed in water. Those are the conditions that we're talking about. So when you go to the book of Acts, you see different circumstances with the same conditions. Let's start with, with the conditions, or rather the circumstances there uh, in Acts chapter 2. The people on the day of Pentecost. Those people had, most of them had arrived 50 days earlier to observe the Passover feast. Okay. But there was another feast coming up called Pentecost that would happen 50 days later after, after Passover. And so most of these people assembled on the day of Pentecost have been around, hanging around Jerusalem between these two feasts. What have they been doing? They have been learning more about Scripture. They have been uh, renewing friendships. And they were uh, making new friends. They were rededicating themselves to the Lord God as revealed uh, in the Old Testament. Now, must we today have those circumstances present in order to be saved? No. No, we don't have to go through two Jewish feasts in order to be saved today. We don't have to be in Jerusalem in order to be saved today. But we do have to follow the same conditions that they followed in order to be saved. And so when they ask, Acts 2 and 37, what must we do? Peter responds, repent and be baptized. Think about Cornelius, Acts chapter 10, the first few verses. An angel came and taught to Cornelius. And Cornelius talked back to him. And Cornelius learned that he needed to send for a man by the name of Peter, who was in Joppa at the time, how Peter come over. And Peter would tell him what he must do to be saved from his sins. And that's what Cornelius does. That was, the, that was his circumstances. Okay. Now, must we today... Must we talk to an angel? Must we have a conversation with an angel? Must we send for a man by the name of Peter who lives in Joppa in order to be saved? No. No. But we must respond to Christ in the same way that Cornelius responded. You see, Acts 10.43 says that, that Cornelius was to believe in Christ with all his heart. And then Acts 10.47 uh, and 48, uh, Peter commanded Cornelius and his household to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. We must follow the conditions, have the same conditions for salvation, but we don't have the same circumstances necessarily. Think about Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus. His, his conversion actually, uh, we read about it in Acts 9, and Acts 22, and Acts, Acts chapter 26. But think about the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. He was going along his way and he was persecuting Christians. And the Lord Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. On top of that, Saul saw a great light, brighter than the noonday sun. And then also Saul became blinded so that other men with him had to lead him into the city so he can meet Ananias who would bring him the gospel message. But again, think about the circumstances. Must we today... 
talk to the Lord directly? Must we today see a big, huge light brighter than the noonday sun? Must we today become blinded, physically blinded like Saul was physically blinded? No, no, not at all. But must we today follow the same response that Saul had to respond and Paul had, uh, Saul and Paul had to go through in order to be saved? And that, the answer to that is yes, yes. You see, different circumstances, the same conditions. So when Ananias came and he, he saw Saul there, who would later be named uh, Paul, he saw Saul there. He said, why do you tarry, Acts 22 and verse 16, why do you tarry, why, do you, why are you there on your knees, arise and be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord? Okay. And then think about the jailer in Acts 16. He he is a keeper of the prison there close to Philippi. And he experienced a, a huge earthquake. An earthquake that shook the, the cell doors open. That shook the chains off the prisoners. Must that type of situation be reproduced in our lives in order for us uh, to be saved today? Must we go through an earthquake to be saved from our sins today? No. But we must listen to what Paul said to the jailer, when the jailer asked him, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, well, first you've got to believe. And then later, as the jailer learned, he was baptized. You see, different circumstances, yes, but same conditions that God has spelled out in his law. Even today, if we were to just have a group uh, fellowship and went around the room and asked uh, each one here who considers themselves a Christian how is it that you learned the truth? How did you learn about God's pattern of salvation? How did you learn about these conditions? Our circumstances would be different. Some just grow up in a Bible-believing church and, and they learn of the truth uh, pretty much just naturally. Others learn the truth from a friend or a, a relative. Others study, they get frustrated with the religions of society and they study themselves uh, through studying the Bible and studying other materials, they study themselves out of their religious error and they find the truth in Jesus. I was talking with a fellow uh, gospel preacher uh, this week and he was telling me about he and his wife uh, where they met. They met in Florence and, and both of them were working at the mall in Florence many, many years ago. And she wasn't a Christian and he took a liking to her and her to him, but they became friends for four years. They didn't get married, but they dated and mainly they studied the Bible for four years because she grew up in another church that did not teach the plan of God in a full way. And for four years, they, they labored, they studied, they cried together. But finally, finally, she saw the truth and she obeyed. And then later, uh, they were married. There's different circumstances, but the same conditions uh, from God. And then the third principle I wanted to share uh, this morning is just simply different answers to the same question. Let's suppose this. Let's suppose that a man is in Moton 
And he asked another man, well, how far is it if I just drive my car? How far is it to, to Decatur? And the guy's going to say about 21 miles, 21 miles. So the man gets in his car, he heads up the road, decides he wants to stop at a convenience shop and get a snack. And that's about seven miles up the road. So he goes in, he has a talk with another guy, and he says, how far from here to Decatur? Now, he's come seven miles. So how far from here to Decatur? Now, is that guy talking to him in that convenience store, is he going to say, well, 21 miles from Moulton to Decatur? No, he's going to, he's going to adapt his answer to the position of the traveler. And he's going to tell him, well, it's, it's uh, 14 miles left to Decatur. And so the man gets in his car and he goes further and decides he's going to stop seven more miles up the road and get some gas. And he stops and he asks the fellow inside the gas station, well, how far from here to Decatur? Now, is that guy going to go back and say, well, where'd you come from? No, he's going to say, it's seven more miles to Decatur. In other words, he's going to adapt his answer to the position of the traveler. And so I want us to think about the book of Acts and think about there are three times in the book of Acts where the question, what must I do to be saved, is asked. It is asked in Acts 16, verse 30 by the jailer. It is asked by those on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2 and 37. And it is asked by Saul, Acts 22 and verse 10. What must I do? Lord, what would you have me to do? I want you to think about that there are different answers given to the same question, but all the answers are true. Start with the jailer in Acts 16 and verse, verse 30. What was the spiritual position of the jailer at the time that he asked this question? Well, he didn't know hardly anything about Christ. He hardly anything, anything about the God of the Old Testament. He was a heathen. He lived far away from Jerusalem. He, he had no copy of the scriptures whatsoever. And so, of course, the first thing that Paul's going to say to him is, you've got to believe on the Lord Jesus with all of your house if you want to be saved. At 16 verse 31. Now, it's not that he is saved at the moment he believes. But rather, his belief puts him in a position to be ready to understand more about the Lord, more about the Lord's authority, and more about the, what the Lord requires for one to do to be saved. You see, This reminds me of John 1 verse 12 where Jesus said, To him who believes, I will give the power, the right, to become a child of God. In John 1 verse 12, Jesus doesn't say, To those who believe, you are a child of God. He says in John 1 verse 12, he says, to those who believe, I will give the power or the right to become a child of God. This is very similar here to what Paul is saying in Acts 16 to the jailer. He's saying, first you've got to believe. Once you believe, then you will have, um, you'll be in a good position. You'll be ready. Okay. You'll have the power then to learn what else to do to become a child of God. And so notice in Acts 16 that uh, Paul then, after he says believe, he speaks the word of God to him. This makes good sense to us because we know, according to Romans 10 and 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Of course, if you want the man to believe, which Paul did, then he's going to give him the source that he needs in order to have his faith to believe. And that is the word of God. So he spent some time speaking to him the word of God. Suppose then, what did he talk to him about? If the man didn't know anything about Christ, 
Surely from Scripture, from the Word of God, he spent some time telling him about how prophecies of the Old Testament pointed to Jesus, how Jesus has already come and he lived this perfect life and Jesus suffered and died for us. He resurrected on the, on the uh, third day. He ascended up on high. Now we have the opportunity for forgiveness. Now we have the opportunity to serve in his kingdom. Surely those are the types of uh, matters that he discussed with the jailer. And also, of course, he would talk to him about the terms of, of salvation, the conditions of salvation. We know he did that because it says there in Acts 16, before long, before long, the same hour of the night, the jailer and his household were baptized. Okay. Now notice where the jailer had to start. Like the fellow in Moulton started in Moulton. The jailer had to start at the beginning. And that's the proper way to be. But he didn't have to stay at the beginning. Paul taught him the word of God so he could make his progress uh, to salvation. Take also the example in Acts uh, chapter 2 where Peter tells those on the day of Pentecost, he says, in answer to the question, what must I do? He said, repent and be baptized. So we need to ask, what was the spiritual position of those on the day of Pentecost? Much different than the jailer. Much different. As we said before, they had been, these were Jewish people who had been there observing Jewish feasts. Two of them, the Passover and then eventually Pentecost. They had made their way. They had tra- traveled a great distance, many of them, to do that very thing. They had hung around They're renewing friendships. They're learning more about Scripture. They're rededicating themselves to God. And Acts 2 verse 5 calls them devout people. Devout people. The only hiccup they had was that they, up until the day of Pentecost, had looked upon Jesus as an imposter, as someone deserving crucifixion. But Peter took care of that. He took care of that. He preached them a sermon beginning about Acts 2.16 on down to Acts 2.22 and all the way from 22 to 37, correcting their misinterpretation of Jesus. And once they heard that, Acts 2.37 says they were pricked in the heart. And then they asked this question. So by the time they asked this question, what must I do? They had a belief in God and a belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. So it would not have been appropriate for Peter, when they asked this question, for Peter to say, well, you need to believe. And they would say, wait, what? We need to believe. These people already believed in the God of the universe. And now they have come to believe in Jesus as the Son of God. Peter's not going to start there and say, believe. He's going to say, look, now you need to repent of your sins. Turn from your sins and be immersed in water for the remission of those sins. You see. By the time they asked this question to Peter in Acts 2 and 37, they had already traveled one third of the distance. Okay? They had not started in Moulton. They had already traveled some distance. And Peter, he adapted his answer to the position of the traveler. He adapted his answer to the position, the spiritual situation of the one who is asking And then we move on to Saul's question in Acts 22 and verse 10. Saul had 
had this appearance from the Lord Jesus himself, he had learned real quickly that his actions of the past were totally opposed to God. He went into severe regret mode for three days, three nights. He did nothing but fast and pray, fast and pray. So when Ananias comes to him, he's not going to say to Saul, believe in the Lord. He believes in the Lord now, most definitely. He's not going to say, Saul, you need to regret and repent how godly sorrow. Saul is already there. He's already there. He's been in severe regret mode for three days. So, when we open up our Bibles and look at Acts twenty-two sixteen, what does Ananias say to Saul, who's already a believer, who's already in severe regret mode and returning from his sins? He says, why do you tarry? Arise, be baptized, wash away your sins. You see how that each of these inspired men, Paul in Acts 16, Peter in Acts chapter 2, and Ananias in Acts 22, they adapted their answer to the spiritual position of the one who was asking. When we look at Saul's question in Acts 22 in verse 10, he says, Lord, what would you have me to do? There's no doubt about this. He is clearly expressing his faith in the Lord. And he is clearly letting it be known publicly that he is willing to do whatever the Lord would have him to do. And then it's very clear, we would all agree, that at that point when he asked that question, that he did not know what to do to obtain forgiveness of sins. Not yet. Not yet. And it's very clear as we read these accounts in Acts 9 and Acts 22 and Acts 26 that he did not learn what he must do to obtain forgiveness and pardon from God until Ananias came into that city, into that house where he was at, and told him, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. I find this interesting. Maybe this makes no sense to you. But I just simply want to share with you some principles that first got me seriously headed towards salvation in Christ. I didn't take it for granted, even though I grew up in the church. I didn't just take it for granted. I stayed away. I had cousins who were baptized at much younger age than me. Much younger age than me. But I was stubborn. I wanted to search it out. And when I begin to hear some of these principles from some very faithful men who, who meant nothing but good for the salvation of souls, then I thought, you know, this does make sense. This New Testament is written in such a way that we can't miss it. Or it takes a lot of outside help uh, to miss it. And so these three principles, think about them again. When God creates something, it's always done decently and in order. The circumstances surrounding people in the book of Acts who were converted to Christ will always be different from our circumstances or anybody else's circumstances today, 
But the conditions of God are the same today as they were in that day. And then think about how that according to the position of the person requiring and asking for and begging for salvation, according to that position, a different answer may be given in response to what he needs to do to be saved. As Jesus said, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I don't think we could talk about anything more important than what we have discussed today. This runs contrary to what many hear from their religious groups, from different churches here and there. But it's only because many have allowed mankind to get in the way of seeing the truth. We must put aside everything that we know and simply let the Lord direct us in our lives. We need to get to the spot where Saul was when he asked the question, Lord, what would you have me to do? We need to come in full belief and come with a complete willingness to surrender our lives to the Lord. And then at that point, it will be no trouble to simply arise, be baptized, and wash away your sins. If we can assist you with any spiritual need this morning, if you'd like to come home to Christ, is that your desire today? Would you like to know more about salvation in Christ? Think about that young lady who's now a Christian, who's now a godly mother, who's now serving as a gospel preacher's wife. She labored with the Bible day in and day out for four years. But it was worth the struggle because salvation is the most important matter we can talk about. Would you need to come right now as we stand together, as we sing, Brother Bean?